Aunt Marge suddenly stopped speaking. For a moment, it looked as though words had failed her. She seemed to be swelling with inexpressible anger, but the swelling didn't stop. Her great red face started to expand, her tiny eyes bulged, and her mouth stretched too tightly for speech. Next second, several buttons burst from her tweed jacket and pinged off the walls. She was inflating like a monstrous balloon, her stomach bursting free of her tweed waistband, each of her fingers blowing up like a salami. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the restricted section, in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thank you for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we are talking about today. Chapter 2, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. In this chapter, Uncle Vernon has his sister Marge come to visit for a week, and she is somehow literally so much worse to Harry than any of the other Dursleys are. She literally abuses him all week long, and finally on the last night, she gets drunk as fuck and starts really tearing in to Harry's dad, James, based on false information that the Dursleys have had to give her to protect Harry's secret. And Harry loses his cool. And he makes Aunt Marge blow up like a balloon. And it's hilarious, but Harry's really mad and his anger is valid. So he gathers all his things and he leaves. Good for him. Welcome to the restricted section. It's me, your favorite aunt, Christina. Just kidding. We hate this aunt and I'm your host, Christina. Uh, This is the restricted section. I always feel the need to say it twice. Uh, Here we are. Brooke, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I got an unusually good horoscope this morning, so I'm feeling like (laughs) really positive. It was one of those that was like not only great in terms of the outlook of my life, but also like specific in weird ways to things that I am doing currently. So I feel good about it. Where was it from? It was from a athletic wear brand that I follow that does like yogi mystic stuff and they like the thing that tripped me out was I just started a 21 day workout program like just started it yesterday and in the horoscope it said for the next 21 days your fitness will improve by leaps and bounds and I was like nobody way so anyhow so I'm hoping the job stuff that was in there is also true (laughs) that's so specific right (laughs) Mary Payton, how are you today? I'm great. Good. Do you care to elaborate? Okay, no, that's all you need. (laughs) That's all I got. I'm very excited to share that our special guest today is Jordan Bennett. Welcome, Jordan. Yay, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. How are you doing today? I'm really, really good. We had a surprise snowstorm in Albuquerque, and we got to take the day off of school, and we made cookies, and we also just got off of a very strict two-week quarantine today so we actually got to meet up with some of our friends and go sledding oh that's That's so wholesome nice magical and we as you and your son yes me and my seven-year-old son just to be clear because you're talking about school and sledding i talk about myself in the we form all the time (laughs) (laughs) the royal we the royal we 
And I'm not talking about the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your very hairy history. Um, Well, I devoured the books as a child. Was convinced I would get my Hogwarts letter when I was 11 and was crushed when it didn't happen. Ugh. Just absolutely devastated. I reread them probably about once every year. I read them to my son for the first time up until about the, I think I stopped at the fifth book because I didn't want to read him the kissing parts. Oh, understandable. It gets real kissy in the it sixth does. book. It does. <laughs> and he wouldn't understand the political stuff of later books anyway. So we stopped at mm-hmm, five. Mm-hmm. And now I have used them to get over my quarantine reading. When Corona first started happening, my reading took just a sharp dive and nothing held my attention. So like wow. a book that was a cozy, warm sweater of a book was perfect. So I reread the Harry Potter series then. And now I'm rereading them to my 18-year-old sister who loves stories but does not have the attention span to read them to herself. Nice. That's awesome. Wow, that's awesome. You're just sharing them with the whole family. That makes me so happy. You're a super spreader. I am. I've really perfected my voices over the years. (laughs) (laughs) So what Hogwarts house are you? I am a Hufflepuff, 1000%. Huffs. I love when Huffs come on the show. I delude myself and like, maybe I'm a Ravenclaw. I really love books. No. Yeah. Christina, I feel like you only have Hufflepuff special guests on the show. (laughs) That is simply not true, but it has been true two out of the two in this book so far. (laughs) Well, the first little bit, you had no Hufflepuffs. Yeah, for a while there. You were talking about, like, the first time you had a Hufflepuff, you're like, finally, it's a Hufflepuff. And now it's been nothing but Hufflepuffs. Yeah, I was very stoked. Um, well, I I think that the book dis- discourse universe tends to be very Ravenclaw heavy for obvious reasons. I would love to get a couple more Gryffindors on the show. I think that's where we're really lacking. And maybe that's for the best since when you get one Gryffindor, it really packs a punch, you know? My seven-year-old <laughs> is both a Leo and a Gryffindor. He is a that super freaking lion. That is strong. <laughs> and it's awful. Cool. So just, I don't ask myself how I'm doing today, but I'm doing pretty good. I finished a 2000 piece puzzle um, and there was only three pieces missing and I hate my life, but I still feel victorious. I also did a really hard run today where the last time I tried to do it like two months ago, I almost died. So it's cool that I just did it. You did great. Yay. Thank you. I'm very excited. I've been telling everybody. <laughs> Before we get started, I just want to do a really quick little shout out. We recently got an email from a listener named Elise. They're a new listener who is catching up and they apparently just have the worst luck because they sent us like the nicest email I've ever received in my life, but they were having trouble accessing one of our episodes. And also they were having trouble leaving a review for us, which we're so grateful for every review we get. So they made sure to email that review directly to me just to make sure the words got to us. And I'm so grateful. So I'm going to read it now. Elise says, I first listened to an episode of the restricted section when Adel Refai guest spotted on the game night episode between the readings of book one and two. I told myself I would come back to the restricted section. I almost said the restricted show. (laughs) (laughs) The restricted section eventually, but it took a while to get there. A few days ago, I took the plunge. I'm already a quarter of the way through the episodes for the Chamber of Secrets, and I'm dreading the day I'm completely caught up, which will probably be in two days tops. This show is a perfect balance of quirky, funny personalities having a good time and legitimate insights regarding Harry Potter's construction, characters, plot, and development. 
I'm an MFA grad, so I'm especially picky with my literary-based podcasts. I don't necessarily want a recap. I want conversation. The fact that the hosts of the restricted section can provide critical commentary on something that they very clearly love hits home for me. Listening to this podcast feels like equal parts like the conversation you'd have with a best friend after seeing a movie you've waited months to come out and a quality workshop session over a piece you've fallen in love with. Suffice it to say, I'm hooked. End quote. I love that. You can tell she's an MFA. That was beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was literally like the most well-crafted email I've ever received in my life. It was so beautiful. And I'm just so grateful that you reached out and connected with us. Elise, this one's for you. I'm so glad that she gave us another chance on literary analysis after that game night episode where we mostly (laughs) talked about a variety of sex positions and whether or not Haggard can find the clit. Uh, and Snape and Jeans is what I really remember from that. Oh, Snape and Jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said it's a good mix. She said it's a good mix of both. Um, so thank you so much for emailing us, Elise. We're so grateful. Those words really made my day. Like I mentioned, Elise reached out to say that they were having trouble accessing one of our episodes. And I sent the file directly to them so if anyone is ever because well because that's because i looked into the issue and i was like i don't know it sounds like a personal issue so i just said (laughs) like if you listeners are ever having any trouble with anything our social media or getting our episodes or anything please alert us on our socials or via email immediately because i want to make sure that i'm doing everything i can to make sure everything's in the right place and that people are getting what they came for which is, um, to quote Elise, um, equal parts conversation and quality workshop session um, is what we're coming here for. It's the first time in my life I've ever been called quality, so I'm just going to rest on that laurel. <laughs> <laughs> this is a quality podcast, okay? If I'm that quality, I should start charging extra. <laughs> And I also just want to remind everyone that we have t-shirts and mugs available for sale through Bonfire. That link is in the show notes. We are so excited. They're so flipping cute. They make great Christmas presents for your friends who also love the podcast. And if they don't love the podcast yet, tell them about it and then get them the gift or just get them the t-shirt and then they'll be like, crap, now I have to listen to this podcast. These are all great options. And if you're a mug connoisseur, as I am, I collect them, Bonfire does a really unique printing uh, of their mug so that it's actually baked under the glaze so you can wash them and it'll never flake off. That's good to know. I was actually wondering about that myself. That is really good to know. I feel like other than grabbing them from a thrift store, Mm -hmm. anytime I buy a mug with something cute on it, it always peels off. No, Bonfire mugs are unpeelable. I own a few of them. That's awesome. For me, it's shot glasses. I always buy shot glasses from places, and then my friends drink a bunch of whiskey out of them, and then I leave them overnight because I'm drunk, and then the next day they're just completely, like, so sticky, and I'm like, ew, put these in the dishwasher, and then they're ruined, and I'm so sad, and I'm like, but I never could have washed this whiskey off myself, so say la vie. <laughs> that, all of that tracks for you, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get into the conversation. This is the first proper chapter of this book when stuff happens and we care about what's happening. It starts with breakfast at the Dursleys. It starts with Dudley being up to five fucking chins. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't hate. Some of us have a lot of chins. Five wobbly chins. (laughs) Don't forget that descriptor. There's a major difference between a, a face framing layer 
which is what most people have, that they misconstrue as a chin. I resemble that remark. (laughs) And five full separate wobbling chins. (laughs) (laughs) That's like Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Yeah. Blah, 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 is the sound that those make. They're almost reaching the floor at this point, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. That's a level of fat that just should never be associated with a 13-year-old boy. Like, that's so... That's so much. That is drifting well into, like, Dune, I need, like, gravity reversers in order to walk level. Mm, Yeah. Unless he just carries all of his weight in his neck. Imagine (laughs) a really skinny Dudley with just a thick-ass neck. Well, they do say he looks just like Vernon, who has a very large neck. That's his main descriptor, is his very large neck. (laughs) That's true. I feel bad. (laughs) A large neck and chicken legs. (laughs) I feel like it's probably taken the actor who played Dudley, whose name I don't remember, a lot of work to, like, claw his way out of this pit of being Dudley Dursley because he's very grown and slender and handsome for a British guy these days. (laughs) I mean, y'all know what I mean. His British British face, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Oh, man. We just lost lost all of our British listeners. (laughs) You, You know what I'm saying, though? He's got, like, the British face. No, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I perhaps should have said hot in a British way. There you go. <laughs> um, we don't discriminate here. One of the hottest guys I ever met was British Brooke. That was because of you. Delightful Dan, if you're out there. You're delightful. <laughs> delightful Dan was delightful. <laughs> um, all I remember is him talking about past. Yeah, it needs the context of he was talking about the fact that in England, you have to be so polite that if someone offers you pasta, you don't take it the first time. You wait until they've asked again, do you want some pasta? And then you can have some pasta. No, someone offers me carbs. I'm eating them immediately. (laughs) Well, that was his story. He was like in an American hostel and he was like, hey, do you want some pasta? And the girl was like, oh, yeah. And he was like, LOL, good joke, bro. Like, yeah. (laughs) affronted to take his pasta on the first offer. What kind of whore takes pasta on the first offer? (laughs) Oh, So, Dudley has a new TV in the kitchen to facilitate his snacking, because it's a a long walk from the couch to the kitchen. Same. That's where the chins come from. I feel that. (laughs) It's just weird to me, because I don't I don't, it doesn't like talk about the TV at length in the book, but in the mo- in the movie, it's like a little TV, and I just feel like it's like a lot less. Maybe it's because I'm so nearsighted, but I'm like that TV sucks. <laughs> but it's also a time before flat screens, so in order to get like an appropriately kitchen sized TV with all like the tube packing that went behind TVs mm-hmm. in the '90s, you kind of gotta size it way down. Well, for sure, it's the exact size and shape of my personal kitchen TV. Which I guess I did watch a lot when I was a kid, so maybe kids just don't give a shit. Kids also have better eyesight. You know the Dursleys have, like, the best TV, even in the kitchen. Like, that that TV has to be top of the line. Yeah, I think kids will really do anything. I had a kitchen TV when I was in high school, and it was, like, at the corner of my counter. So it was, like, tucked in the corner, so there was, like, this triangle of space that (laughs) you would just, like, lean into. To, like, get your face right in front of the TV while you're eating your Cheez-Its or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds precious. (laughs) That was, like, a lot of my life, actually. (laughs) 
All right, so maybe that's the one thing about Dudley. I'll take that diss back. As a reminder, it's Harry's birthday, but no one cares. He's just, like, eating breakfast. We're listening to Dudley's TV, and we hear about escaped convict Sirius Black. And you know it's got to be important, or else why would they even be writing this information down? Well, we actually get an immediate, like, hidden comparative analysis between Sirius Mm -hmm. Black and Harry. Mm -hmm. Because we hear about Black being escaped and wanted, and then... Vernon immediately is like, no need to tell us he's no good. Look at the state of him, the filthy layabout. Look at his hair. He shot a nasty look sideways at Harry, whose untidy hair had always been a source of great annoyance to Uncle Vernon. So we immediately get this connection the first time we hear, actually not the first time, because we did hear Sirius Black's name in the first book, which was like a shocker. Oh. Remember? We all like picked up on that. We were like, what the, what the, what But, so this is the first time we're being reintroduced to the concept of Sirius Black, and as soon as we're introduced to him, it's an immediate line between him and Harry, drawn for us by Uncle Vernon. Yeah. Also, here was my note about that comment. Of course, he's a criminal. Look how fucking gross he is. Sir, he's been in prison. I was going to say that, too. Like, what do you... (laughs) He doesn't have Laverne cox up in his prison making him look beautiful okay (laughs) also like wizard prison seems to be a medieval step below like standard muggle prison for sure it reminds me of like like game of thrones prisons like dungeons like it's bad you almost expect there would be no uh floor and no wall and just to fall off the edge at any moment. Yes, that's exactly what I was about to say. What is that? It's called like the sky prison. Is there a name for it? It was like an ear. Yeah. It was like the It's sky something. Yeah, it's definitely in Sky Door. Yeah. Sky Door? Sky Door. Sky Door is where the hole in the thing. Uh yeah, hey, what's up? We're idiots and it's called the Moon Door. We've all seen the show. And we're just stupid. Sorry, R.I.P. But the prison cells were called like the sky, the sky cells or something like that. They're called the no thanks. And man, so good. Man, ninety five percent of that show is so good. <laughs> Tyrion really comes so far from that. Like thinking about that part, I was like, well, he's gonna die, and then, bah. nope. Oh, sorry for spoiling it for anyone else. Seen it, <laughs> he doesn't die. Cl- comes close, yeah. but not quite. Close, but no cigar. We have no fucking clue what happens because the series is not finished, so... True. I hate George R. R. Martin. I will go on the record with that. <laughs> he lives near me in Santa Fe, and I want to go yell at him what? to finish his books all the time. <laughs> I am certain that has happened. I am so certain people have gone to physically confront him about where are the books. <laughs> I went to his bookstore that he owns in Santa Fe, and I was, like, talking to the cashier. I'm like, when is it happening? And she's like, I don't Cashier's know. like, I don't know. I'm just a cashier. They probably yeah. get that all the time. <laughs> I imagine she's probably lost steam for it, though. Like, it would be really hard to finish a book that somebody's already finished badly. Mm-hmm. I think that he just... Okay, wow. This is just so the wrong fandom. <laughs> I, we're all on the same page with Winds of Winter. <laughs> yes. Here's a question. Why is Dudley watching the news? Because he watches it even later, I think. Like, he keeps it on. I can't remember when that shocked me, but I don't know. Maybe they don't have that many channels at this point. It's like the 90s, right? 
Um, didn't Petunia make a comment in one of the books about how Dudley doesn't watch the news? He doesn't care what's going on. I think it might have been like the fifth book when like the Dementors come like and Harry's like book. lying in the bushes listening to the news. Oh, yeah. Okay. That tracks. I got the impression that maybe Uncle Vernon was watching the news and Dudley was just there to watch whatever is on TV while they all have breakfast. I gotcha. Like Vernon commandeers the TV when he wants to because him and Dudley are kind of the same person. Yeah. I, I, as soon as I said that, I was like, that's not quite right. Because I feel like Dudley, when he grows up, is going to be, like, fragile in a way that, like, Vernon Dursley is not, you know? I feel like Vernon Dursley had a tough, up, like, could have had a rougher upbringing. He's a very hardened man. Hardened man. That's what I'm getting at. I can see him and Aunt Marge having a mom that's a lot like Aunt Marge. Mm. Oh. Ooh, oh. The, like, 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 he was raised like a dog. You know. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, I can see that. Oh, <laughs> and Amarge is his older sister. I think I don't know why I know that. Maybe that's something I made up. I, that actually, I mean, if you made it up, that's how I pictured it too. Because, I mean, he just listens to her. Yeah, yeah. And as such a big man who is used to commanding his house, I don't think he would do that if it was a. I mean, he would. I'm sh- I'm sure he'd be excited to see his sister, even if she was a younger sister, but. He wouldn't be so intimidated by her like it seems like he is. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, this is headcanon. Unless it just goes back to his deep-rooted mommy issues. Mm. Yeah, wow, okay. Well, it is Maybe the Harry sh- Potter series. No one gets away without some childhood trauma. Wow, so <laughs> true. I was literally was casting my, I was like, except for, ba-ba-da-da, and I like couldn't think of anyone. Maybe Douglas Diggle didn't have any childhood trauma. Maybe he should have, honestly. Daedalus Daedalus Diggle Is it Daedalus? His humor and good nature covers it up (laughs) Um, Maybe Uncle Vernon would be a good candidate For a Behind the Bastards bonus episode If there's enough information about him I will look into that Or Andrew if you're listening look into that Mm -hmm. You better be listening Um, Why does Aunt Marge hate Harry? Yeah well hold on I have that question too but let's get to let's get there. Okay, no, totally. I totally want to figure that out. Um, okay, so we're still at breakfast. <laughs> we do so much so quickly on this podcast. We're really just chugging through it. They're watching TV. Okay, Uncle Vernon is a supporter of the death penalty, which feels really weird to just stick in there. He says they're still talking about Sirius Black on the news, and he says, "When will they learn that hanging's the only way to deal with these people?" Which is so chilling. Because we know Sirius Black is innocent. Well, and also because hanging is such an unnecessarily brutal form of execution. Yeah. Yeah, deeply inhumane and outdated. I have been doing a lot of thinking about executions this week. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard on the news, but um, the Trump administration has been really pushing through federal executions this week. Not to get way too deep into that but you know on their way out an important thing that they want to do before they leave is make sure to reinstitute federal executions which haven't been done in like um 17 years or something because they literally ran out of the drug that they need part of the trio of drugs that they give them and so the trump administration literally just found another one they're like we'll just use this instead like oh like to, it's like a an aggressive level of effort to, to make sure your legacy is, like, murder. 
Yeah, it's just, it's, it's like another level of evil bizarre. It's like a, a dying man's like desperate last move, basically. It's so bizarre. Like these people who are going to be executed, one already has been, um, these five other people who are going to be executed, like, what does that do for you to do it in this these last few days that you're in power? Other than you just want to see someone fucking burn. Like, that is crazy to me. It's like, it's a control thing. And I feel like that's also Uncle Vernon's perspective. It's like, just like cancel it. Just like, just like kill him. And like, you'll never have to worry about it again. Which I guess is true, even if they are innocent. (laughs) I was actually just about to say something about if we think that Vernon would be a Trump supporter in this day and age before this conversation started. So perfect. 100%. But I feel like in a way where he, like, wouldn't really want to engage about it because he, like, can't logic his way out of it. It's just, like, a feeling, you know, that he has. So he's a Facebook mm-hmm. Trump supporter. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't <laughs> think he would be, like, full-on, like, Trump train about yeah, I, it. I think, like, a fear-based, like, yes. like bigotry-based support. I don't know. I feel like in the 90s, I mean, I know I was also a kid, but I feel like a lot of the people who didn't whose answer was, I don't want to talk about politics. Now they're Trump supporters. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of people <laughs> did mom. that in the night. Well, a lot of people, <laughs> I was taught to not talk about politics because, you know, I definitely had some privilege growing up. And so we could afford to not talk about politics. But- yeah, but we're also taught to not talk about money or jobs or anything. And it's like, damn, we just need to start talking about shit, dude. Yeah. Like, how are you surviving in this economy? We don't know how to respectfully talk about those things because we were always told not to talk about them. And now we just have the open internet. (laughs) Ooh. Man, overcorrection. Zero to 100 real quick. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, speaking of overcorrection, Aunt Marge is coming to stay. (laughs) Um, No no one told Harry. It's his birthday and Uncle Vernon is just like, oh yeah, I'm going to go pick up Aunt Marge. And Harry's like, no. And he goes through, like, this mental list of all the trauma she's ever bestowed upon him. And, um, but also, fun note, her life sounds really nice. It's, quote, Aunt Marge lived in the country in a house with a large garden where she bred bulldogs. That's nice. That's lovely. Plenty of room for all her heinous bitchery. (laughs) Both literally and figuratively. Sitting there stewing, getting more and more bitter. She just has the most bizarre energy of yeah mostly any character I've ever read because the bizarreness of her circumstance and energy doesn't seem connected to anything. Like, you get quirky characters or, like, odd characters that are, like, fueled by a sense of being quirky or odd or having a circumstance which, like, propels them forward in that direction. Whereas Marge just seems like a bunch of really disconnected factoids that have been strung together into a horrible person don't forget that the word factoid means false fact technically it is because it is a work of fiction so i'm gonna stick hard on that (laughs) wow you ravenclawed me me right back (laughs) well fine (laughs) you were correct to correct me but also that is my parry um (laughs) 
Um, yeah, she almost reminds me of Mrs. Trunchbull from Matilda, except for Mrs. Trunchbull has a backstory that makes sense. And She's like, played by the same actress, right? Whoa, really? Is she? No. I'm literally just picturing their faces. Okay, so when I read this out loud to my 18-year-old sister, I do voices, and Trunchbull's voices is the voice is the one that I do. And as I was reading this chapter out loud to her, she and I were dying because as I was reading it, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing Trunchbull's voice. <laughs> And it fits so well. It's definitely her. <laughs> That's I can so perfect. It. Yeah. Wait, wait. I'm just. I, it does look like her. I'm fact checking it real fast. You're fact um, checking it. No, no. I'm. I'm a fact. Oh my god, that's like a beautiful moment in the universe where I was like, these two characters are really similar and it's because they're the same fucking person. That's amazing. She was like, I can play this part. I can get this one. Yeah, so this is Pam Ferris, um, also seen in nothing else I've ever heard of in my life. Um, Oh, she was in the movie Tolkien as someone I don't know, and she played Queen Victoria. Um, and she also has played Mrs. Oh, no, that's a, I don't know that show. Wait, never mind. I, I saw Mrs. Bennett and I was like Pride and Prejudice. And then I was like, oh, no, it's not. There's like some uh, Mrs. Bennett's a very common name. I don't know what this is. Yes, it is. It is a common name. <laughs> so common we even have one on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. That is a great point. Um, She has also played Mrs. Claus. I'm just having fun now. <laughs> um, That's all. So, yeah, same person. So good for her for having a type. <laughs> But, like, it just, it doesn't make sense. Like, Marge, we we don't get enough of why Marge is who she be. Like, the fact that she lives alone with a large garden and breeds bulldogs doesn't seem to justify her, like, bizarre amount of rage. I think that our headcanon is, like, probably more spot on than we think it is, where her and Vernon had a really domineering mother, and then, like, she had to take on this role of, like, older sibling to Vernon. So she probably took a lot of the responsibility being, like, the oldest and making sure that, like, her mom doesn't get mad by making sure Vernon's in order, which puts Vernon in this weird dynamic of being so desperate not to displease her, which he truly is in this chapter, so desperate. Yeah, I really picture, like, an absentee father kind of situation, too. Like, he was gone for some reason... And the mom really had to knuckle down and take care of things. And she did it not so well. (laughs) Yeah, dad might have been in in the military, which would have led to an even more, like, intensely, like, what's the word? Regimented. Regimented. Not a word that's in my daily vocabulary. Um, That is not my life. So Vernon, in his desperation to... Please, his sister, um, wants to get a few things straight with Harry before Marge arrives. One, keep a civil tongue. And Harry's like, I will if she does. Two, don't talk about magic. Three, for your information, you attend St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. But secure, so secure you can come home for summer holidays. Yeah, it's like a prison, but not... So I loved this immediately because this is a second immediate connection that we get between Harry and Sirius and that they've both been locked up in incurable criminal institutions for false reasons. Whoa, way to go, Brooke. See, that's a literary analysis that at least comes here for. But so we're like four pages in to the chapter by my book and it's like we've already gotten these like two fun little parallels between Harry and Sirius. They're just so entwined from the outset. Yeah, it's almost like 
a book where at the end it's like, and Sirius was his dad all along. But it's like not quite, it's like more complicated than that. It's more, even their hair is like more of a spiritual thing than like a biological thing. Yeah. And I love that she put incurably in there because obviously the kind of school that Vernon would want to send him to would not be one that's trying to help him be better or trying to help any boys reform um, just incurably criminal just to keep them there and beat them down to in sub- submission. Do you think, how did Vernon, okay, so we're looking at the 90s. We've heard tell of a computer in this series, so we know that we do have that. How do you think Vernon heard of this school to make up the lie that Harry is going there? Oh, he might have the internet at work. I feel like at the very least, knowing him, he would find out what the school is nearby that's really for bad kids. Or he might have even looked into it before Harry got taken away to Hogwarts or even in preparation for Harry to come home from Hogwarts. Like, you're not going back after this year. In a phone book. You could have looked in a phone book. Oh, yeah, phone books. I forgot about those things. It just seems like such a step above to find this, like, not just a reform school, but, like, an ultra-reform school Mm -hmm. for Harry to go to. It seems like extra effort may have gone into continuing this lie that Harry is this, like, horrific child. Yeah, maybe, like, someone at his company, like, does have a really fucked up kid who does have to be at this place, and Vernon's, like, even the amount of shade that that guy's getting thrown is, like, less than what a wizard would bring to me. Like, I feel like I said that stupid. Did that make sense? We got it. Okay. <laughs> so, Vernon is like, I need to go get Marge. Harry, smartly, he's had a, he's, uh, it's a bit of a Ravenclaw moment for him. Uh, unusual. Harry intercepts him at the door and is like, can you sign this permission form for this thing, basically? Vernon's like, I don't care. Fuck, Go fuck yourself. But then Harry's like, it's going to be really hard to remember the name of that crazy school that you looked up in a phone book. And I don't remember no good. And it'll be a lot easier to remember if you sign my permission form, which is so funny. It's so bold. This is when he starts getting real bold. Because when he broke out of the Dursley's house in the Chamber of Secrets, he he got like kidnapped kind of, right? But like this book, he's like, oh... I hate you guys. And like, I'm going to blackmail you into signing my permission form. And then later in the chapter, he's like, I am leaving because this is a nightmare. So basically, he's like, I'll do as I'm told if you sign the form. Uncle Vernon spins it and it's like, I'll sign the form if you do what you're told. Fair. Fine. Although now with like the hindsight of knowing what happens, the fact that he doesn't sign it for him. I know. Like, Damn it, Harry, get it first. Yeah. You get it first, and then agree to be nice. I don't he think pro- there's any way Vernon was going to fall for that, though. I know. I just yeah. wanted him to ask. So I just want it to change so bad. <laughs> well, Harry probably thinks this is a great win, you know? Now, I, do you guys think if the week had gone swimmingly, do you think Vernon would have signed it? Honestly, yeah. I mean, like, Vernon is an asshole, but he's not dumb. And for all that he's, like, malicious, he's not actually usually like, pointedly malicious. We've never seen him go back on his word. Yeah, he's not a liar. I think he would even pride himself on being a man of his word. That would be, like, a huge source of pride for him. 
Yeah, yeah. I would tend to agree with that. So Vernon leaves to go get Marge, and Harry goes to, like, muggleify his bedroom, which includes hiding all his birthday stuff that he just got last night that he was so excited about, and he lined up all his birthday cards, and he felt like he had friends, and he was happy that it was his birthday, R.I.P., and um, he tells Hedwig to go to Ron's house. Errol's still there. So he's like, go with Errol to Ron's house. Take yourself a nice vacation. That's probably, a, the burrow's probably a great place for an owl to be. Lots of trees, grass. There's so many mice in that field grass. Lots of gnomes to, fo- to gnomes! chase. Gnomes! I bet owls eat gnomes. For sure. It sounds a little bit horrifying. That'd be terrible. Just because gnomes can, like, speak. Yeah. That's why they couldn't put it in the books, but you know it's true. Like, imagine a gnome outside your window just screaming in pain as a bird rips it apart. Oh, that's awful. Oh, God! My leg! My leg! My kids! My kids! (laughs) But then, like, the, the science class that's dissecting owl pellets the next year there. And they get this crop of, like, unknown bones they can't identify. <laughs> Whoa. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. Now you've got me wondering what gnomes are anatomically similar to. A potato. No, no, no. That can't be right. They have to have bones. Maybe, like, a frog? I could see mm. select gnome bones coming out as very frog-like. <laughs> And the muggle scientists are like, weird frogs in Ottery St. Catchpole. I fucking, yes. Interesting. I like can't wrap my head around that. I'm like, what do they do about the alphabets? <laughs> so, and then Petunia. Oh, I just smacked my microphone. So I have to deliver that line again. I talk with my hands. <laughs> oh, man. I was, at a, I was at a brewery the other day and I did this exact move with an entire glass of beer. And it was a picnic table, so it spilled all over everyone's legs. It went, like, through the cracks. Oh. <laughs> and it was a brewery, so it was, like, a $10 beer. <laughs> and, yeah. And then the one of the employees came over and was like, here, let me wipe the table up. And I was like, can I help you? And she was like, you're not allowed to because of COVID. And then it was all on the floor. And I was like, can we get the floor? And she was like, I don't want you guys to get up, so just leave it. Which means it was just, like, so sticky at the end of the night. And I, I was that person. <laughs> And I felt so bad. <laughs> that would haunt me for like weeks afterwards. <laughs> I'm just a nightmare human. This is my burden to bear. <laughs> so Petunia is like, come downstairs. They're coming. And then she's like, Harry, fix your hair. But then Harry's like, and Marge prefers uh, like criticizing me. So I should just leave my hair messy because she'll like it. <laughs> Okay, can we now have the chat about why the fuck she hates him so much? Yeah, she comes in and she's real mean to him. Like, is it inherited from Vernon? They probably talk shit about him all the time. And Vernon and Petun tells her, you know, she asks about him and he's like, oh, he's horrible. And just tells him, tells her all these horrible things and about his, you know, why. She, I imagine she asked why he got sent to St. Brutus's. What was so wrong with him? Why is he so incurably criminal? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Vernon in his life has made up a lot of lies about Harry to to protect himself. We see that happen later in this chapter actively. Um, But Harry, yeah, probably doesn't hear any of it. And it's just like Aunt Marge just has a bunch. But she also just kind of seems like that kind of like a brusque person where it's like, 
oh, is she a bitch? And it's like, yeah, no, that's just like how she is. You're fine. I understand why she hates Harry so much. It's because they all hate the idea of him coming from this couple, James and Lily, who were like different and weird. But that's my question that I don't understand is what did they tell Aunt Marge about Lily and James that makes her hate them so much? See, I I disagree with what you just said, because I don't think that a kid's parents, whatever, I I think literally whatever a kid's parents do, you can't hold that against like an actual kid. I think a decent person would think that. Logically, but people aren't working logically. Yeah. She does bring it up later, though, where she's like, I know, like, your sister was odd, and then she like ran away with this even odder dude. And it's like, it's not unthinkable that lily probably was like at their wedding and stuff like she's probably Ugh. met them and she says specifically like that famous line if it's ro- if there's something wrong with the bitch there's something wrong with the pup Ooh, okay wait hold off on that well because we'll get there but yes so i do think she at least assigns a little bit of it i agree it's his parents Okay, yeah, because of her dog breeding background. I mean, a logical, well-adjusted person wouldn't hold it against a child, but we're not dealing with logical, well-adjusted, let-me-see-what's-wrong-with-me-and-fix-it kind of people. Yeah, as Grace said in last week's episode, it's probably for the best that we don't understand where these abusers are coming from. Yeah. It's very hard to understand. Vernon assumed that someone could should be hung based on the fact that he looked filthy and dirty, you know? <laughs> and, like, him being filthy and dirty is his fucking problem. I like, know. he hasn't been in prison! Um, yeah, it just... And also, I think... I think that that bitch, the author of this book series, has written a couple evil characters who are nuanced. Like, whatever you think about Snape, he's, like, a nuanced bad guy character. And even Voldemort is, like, very nuanced. But I think that she also is really prone to falling into this pit of, like, this person is evil because they have an evil-tempered dog and they're fat and I hate them. Oh, (laughs) and that's the part, like, uh, that bothers me about the way she uses size and fat uh, and people. She, that bitch specifically uses it for bad people like if you think about the way she describes Hagrid Hagrid is big all around he's very tall Um, yeah and he's he's, like a giant I mean he's part giant right so there's she never refers to him as fat she never talks about any roles not that you could see it through the beard but you know he I imagine he's very hefty but she never talks about it in the same way and yeah he's more of like a Paul Bunyan type of like yeah dope like giant man creature yeah. Would anybody like to guess how many fat references and adjectives she used in this chapter? I counted oh, it. I would love to know. Oh, no. I sat there and made a tally mark for every time she used a singular fat describer there. And so I did not count when she they actually inflated Marge, and I did not count a string of them. I only counted okay. the string as one. Okay. 18 times in this chapter Whoa. did she say something about... Multiple chins and beefy hands and large faces. 18 times. This is a pretty short chapter. It's just so gross that she clearly thinks she's like really saying something about these people with this sort of language. You know what I mean? Something about their character. Yeah, like if she's trying to go the like 
the sort of stereotypical route here and be like, yeah, they like to, they're greedy and they hoard these things. Like she can say that easily without talking about their bodies. Yeah, like definitely like. Which I think is what she's aiming for. Yeah, I think like the comment about like Dudley eating five pieces of pie or whatever, like that kind of speaks for itself in a way that like his five wobbling chins don't need to like add to that. Yeah. Well, and also, and then maybe this is just me, but I got like weirdly feminist offended when I read the thing about Marge having a mustache. I was like, why does that fucking matter, dude? Like, lots of ladies grow lip hair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they mentioned it multiple times. Like, she took her drink of her brandy and wiped her mustache. Yeah. Some of us have a little bit darker extra hair on their upper lip. Leave us alone. Not to be this way, but it really, to me, feels like this is connected to J.K. Rowling's turfdom, where it's like, my experience as a woman is, like, the correct experience. And that's the sort of femininity that I'm defending with my feminism. Because she's a a skinny, cis, white woman? Yes. So that's the appropriate way to be. Like, the kind of person who would say that people who, like, influencers on Instagram who are plus size are putting out the wrong message about health, which drives me fucking crazy, (laughs) because you cannot see someone's health by looking at them. But she would be that person. Yeah, she's the kind of person who talks about toxic body positivity, Mm -hmm. which is, like, so... It's just so much more nuanced than that, and she doesn't... She just really is, like, I was poor and like I've been abused and like that means I am just so righteous in my feminism and it's just it's just like your feminism has to be inclusive I'm just picturing young like young boys or girls or whoever reading this book as a kid and if they're larger reading this book and reading these like oh I'm fat I must be evil yeah, just having to read those 18 times when she talks about how fat they are. Just, uh These poor kids that are fat and Slytherins. <laughs> oh, fat Slytherins! Mm. We love you, fat Slytherins! Thank you. <laughs> Mary Bates, shut Thank up. you so much, guys. I really needed that. Uh, okay. Where are we? So, why is Aunt Marge horrible to Harry? We don't know, but she definitely is. That's the moral of the story. She is weirdly good, though, to this one English bulldog (laughs) who gets... He drinks tea. (laughs) Which is adorable. Like, an English bulldog drinking tea is adorable. (laughs) That's kind of (laughs) cute. He he eats fruitcake. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Her poor other dogs, though, left behind... Well, they're with Colonel What's-His-Butt. Bubster. No, I totally get that, though, because some dogs are real travel nervous, and then other dogs are what they call Velcro dogs, because they just need to be stuck to you at all times. I feel like most of her dogs are outside dogs, because she breeds them, and she probably has, like, a barn for them, and I feel like Ripper's, like, her baby. Yeah. Yeah. Breeding dogs is a gross process. Yeah, it seems gross. Because they, like, they have periods and stuff. It's, like, real messy. Whenever my cat Penny has, like, a weird day, we're always like, oh, it's menopause. Get it? Get it? (laughs) Wow. 
What about meownapause? <laughs> oh, she's so cute. Um, are you having a little baby menopause? You can make anything sound cute in the right voice. <laughs> I also just hate that the dog is described as evil tempered. It's, it's not the dog's fault. Don't bring him into this. <laughs> so here's some ways in which Amarge is terrible to Harry. Um, he. He's like, she's like, you're still fucking here. As if he's legally allowed to leave their protection. Um, and he's like, yeah. And she, he's, he's like, yes. And she's like, don't say yes in that ungrateful tone. And then he just like smiles. And then she's like, don't fucking smirk at me. And then she's like, this fucking school you go to, do they hit you? And he's like, hell yeah, they totally hit me with a cane. <laughs> and then. She's like, well, it's not good enough. <laughs> it's just like, what? Yeah, she just like comes one right after the other. That's it's so maddening when you're really trying. Like he, she doesn't know that he literally, he really has a motive to be nice in this in this time. But like when you're really trying, and someone's like, well, I think you smiled at me because you were trying to make fun of me. You're like, damn it, no. <laughs> Um, he's not a great actor. <laughs> True. Is him, my favorite movie memory is him sitting there. Do they use the cane boy? Oh, yes, I've been beaten loads of times. <laughs> Just like with that classic, classic Daniel Radcliffe, like chipper. It's like the same voice he uses when he takes the Felix Felicis and he's just like, oh, yeah. The pincers, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Amar's just like, you're not getting hit enough, Petunia. You should probably write to the school and make it really clear that they're allowed to beat his ass. <laughs> Extreme force. I'm just imagining on both sides, Petunia writing that letter. Because Petunia in and of herself is so proper that I don't think she would. And then on top of it, like a school official out of the blue in the middle of summer <laughs> receiving a thing that's been like, I don't believe you're beating our uh, adopted child hard enough. Uh, yeah. She says specifically to approve the use of extreme force, which sounds fucking terrifying. They probably already use extreme force yeah. at, um, where is it? St. Brutus's School for Imaginary Friends. What's it called? <laughs> I wish. St. Brutus's Center, Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's cool. He survives that first night. The next few days go by. Harry's reflecting. While the Dursleys usually prefer that Harry just, like, fuck off. Um, Aunt Marge prefers for him to stay around so she can talk shit about him and make recommendations. And one night she's just like really laying into him. You're rotten from the inside and there's something wrong with your parents. And this is when she says, if there's something wrong with the bitch, there will be something wrong with the pup. Something struck me about this. I just thought it was interesting. I, I always knew that this line was in this book, but, like, I think this is the first time, I, like, in book seven, when Molly Weasley says, not my daughter, you bitch, and it was, like, so legendary. And I'm like, oh, that's actually the second time they say the word bitch in this series. I think this is the moment that I learned in the English language that bitch is actually a female dog used for breeding and that women are called bitches based on the way that female dogs act when they're in heat. 
Wow, I wonder if this was part of my understanding of that, too. I feel like it probably informed a lot of kids' understanding of that word. Yeah. Because initially I was like, ooh, she said bitch, and my parents were like, you get a pass because it's in a correct context in which bitch does not mean bitch. Yeah, I think that's, pro- that, I mean, that's why the book seven one is so legendary, because Molly Weasley is calling Bellatrix Lestrange a straight up bitch. <laughs> but um, I, do, I just think it's funny. I probably, even though this is a correct usage, I probably in a children's book as an editor would be like, we can't use this word. People will censor it. You know, it's like a profanity. I mean, we are three books in at this point, and I think there had been enough pop- there was enough popularity chugging along mm-hmm. with the series that I think you can start getting away with things that might have turned parents off at the beginning. Yeah, okay. Speaking as a parent who read this to her child, I just changed the words. <laughs> oh, interesting. What did you say? I did not say. Um, I think I said if there's something wrong with the mom, there'll be something wrong with the kid. If there's something wrong with the mommy... <laughs> Yeah, something like that. I know I did not say to my seven-year-old son, there's something wrong with the bitch, there's something wrong with the pup. The baby and mommy. <laughs> it's like, we're talking about a terrible character, and we're talking about, like, the scientific activity of breeding dogs, but it's, like, still about dogs. I'm like, oh, oh, if the mommy dog is nice, the baby dog will be really nice, too. <laughs> You're not understanding this part at all, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> Harry makes the wine glass pop. Yeah. Marge has a moment where she's like, oh, don't even worry about it. I whole canned these bitches all the time. <laughs> she's like, I did this last week or whatever <laughs> at Colonel Watson's She's already house. super drunk. Yeah. I don't drink, but I have held wine glasses before. They're dainty. They are, but also I've never once snapped one accidentally by holding it. Here, I think I'm a professional in this department. I've done a lot of dumb things with a lot of different beverages and their containers while drunk. Y'all have witnessed it. It happens all the time. I've done a lot of things to a wine glass, okay? I've dropped one. I've thought I was aiming toward the cabinet and missed and slammed it into the wall instead. <laughs> oh okay, like I've done, <laughs> I've done a lot of... I've dropped one to prove that it was drop proof and then found out that it was not drop proof. Like I've done a lot of things. <laughs> Christina, did it say sh- did it say shatter proof? It was one of those like outside one, like a pla- uh, like a like an insulated uh-huh. outside one. What am I trying to say? I sound like a fucking idiot. Um it's not glass. It's like metal and it was like <laughs> I don't know what it said on the box, but I was like, break proof. And I like chucked it at the floor. And (laughs) Sean was just like so disappointed. Uh, The kids the other day uh, were putting out ornaments and a bunch of them say shatterproof. I think everyone knows what that means, but I'll just explain it anyways. But like, it just means it it doesn't break into tiny little shards of glass pieces. It just means it like will, it'll break in bigger chunks. And so he was so close to just throwing it. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that would have been so fun. Like, maybe ask an adult <laughs> first. He's 13. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> ask an adult first. <sighs> okay, the moral of the story, though, is that I've never whole candid a wine glass, okay? Like, that is never the move. You treat that thing delicately. But oh. she, I don't know, man, she's got a grip. Do we think that she and Colonel Fubster are fucking? Oh, oh for sure. Col- Colonel, what's his, what's his name? Fubster. Yeah. 
Literally Colonel Fubster. <laughs> I was not making that up. Oh, I thought I thought you were joking. <laughs> I thought you were like that old New- sport. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think they're platonic old friends. I think that he she was never married because she's insufferable. And I think he had a wife that he lost long ago. And he's just a sad, lonely old man who needs a friend. And they are just such an un- unlikely friendship. She gives me um, repressed lesbian vibes, actually. Like, with her bulldogs oh. in the countryside. Like, she, you know, she lived a life where she definitely could not be who she is. And now it's just completely denied. And now she lives by herself. That explains the rage. I think that's giving her too much credit. Because originally, I kind of thought the same thing. And then I was like, I really don't think so. I think that she's just an awful person. Like, I, um, I read something on the internet the other day super scientific but someone was basically like i they were pushing back against the idea that all like homophobic uh politicians are in fact gay because it kind of absolves shitty straight people of just being horribly homophobic Uh. like it doesn't matter why and it doesn't matter if you're fighting your own shit if you're a bad person you're just a bad person interesting maybe my husband's lesbian aunt lives in the country and breeds bulldogs so so i might be a little biased (laughs) <laughs> that's why yeah that's i think those are both good reads on this it's a little personal yeah <laughs> you're like wow that sounds really familiar i don't know wherever uh is her name marge by any chance no it's not and she's the sweetest person so okay good good well that's good for y'all's family um so harry flees the scene because he knows that was for sure him and i think we all know it was for sure him even though yeah march says she's done this before i'm like that's harry rage magic well and vernon and petunia kind of look at him like do we blame you for this before marge was like oh no it happens all the time i go through 50 wine glasses a yeah, year they like- literally don't care if it's his fault they only care what if she thinks it's his fault Mm-hmm. so a couple more days pass. Harry survives to the final night of Marge's stay. Um, Petunia cooks a fancy dinner, and all the grown-ups are drinking several bottles of wine. That language means that each of them has drank at least one bottle of wine. That's like the that's yes. the stat because they didn't say a couple. It says several, and there's three adults. That's one bottle. That's a that's a BPP. That's a bottle per person. <laughs> And um, and then Vernon brings out some brandy, and Marge is, like, clearly drunk as fuck. She is, like, shitty drunk. Wine, then brandy is, like, that's, like, that's, like, Christmas drunk. Like, that, that's when you want to be, like, w- so warm inside that nothing will ever be cold to you, and you're not going anywhere, and, like, you're just so snuggly, and, like, it's just, like, it's Christmas. <laughs> so she does what shitty people who are drunk do and she just starts going on a rant she calls harry a runt and she starts going on about his bloodline and we get a really important psychotic moment here where she says that she had colonel fubster drown one of her puppies last (laughs) (laughs) i can't i i like i don't have a i don't have a comeback for that Like, holy what the fuck? Like, I'll take that dog. Usually when breeders have one that doesn't come out to, like, show dog standards, they just sell it at a discount to a family that's not interested in having a show dog. It's a scratch and dent puppy. It's fine. Oh, baby. Oh, I can't linger on this too long, but she's definitely a psychopath. 
drown a puppy? Like, what the, like, who the fuck are you? What is your malfunction? It really goes to show that dogs are her, like, business and that Ripper is, like, a special baby to her. But, like, really, I don't think she gives a shit about the dogs. But, like, my neighbor comes to me and says, hey, can you drown this puppy for me? No! No, I cannot! Why does Carl Fubster do that? That's why I think that they gotta be fucking. They gotta be fucking. They gotta be fucking, fucking. man. There's no other way. You don't drown a puppy for anyone that you are not getting puss from. Or or maybe, like, it's just, maybe it's like they're not fucking, but it's just like, it's just like he is just, like, in love with her. She's got him in the friend zone. And, like, yeah, he just, like, does what she says. My grandma has this neighbor <laughs> who's really lonely and paranoid and, like, she's his only friend and, like, he would do anything for her. She would never ask him to drown a puppy, though. I want to be really clear about that. She is really incredibly domineering, like, and really everything she talks about as far as being the characteristics of a good boy versus a, a bad boy, Dudley versus Harry. It's all about power and, like, she tells Dudley you'll be a proper size for a man you know like it's her whole thing is about power and power over other people and i think that's part of the reason she picks on harry is because he's easy to do that to yeah he's a little but also i i definitely think she could do that to an another adult for sure yeah she could be like blackmailing him or you know oh interesting oh interesting i think they fucking (laughs) or that or both you know maybe he likes being humiliated we don't know Oh, yeah. In that case, they're fucking adjacent. (laughs) If it's his kink to be humiliated by Aunt Marge, I'm going to call that fucking adjacent. (laughs) That's a sexual relationship. So while Marge is like on this rant about how Harry is scientifically bad in the same way that runted dogs that get drowned are bad, Harry, this whole time that Marge has been staying with them, has been using this technique Whenever she starts talking shit about him or, like, whatever, he thinks about his handbook of do-it-yourself broom care, which Hermione gave him for his birthday. That's a good strategy. Like, I'm proud of him. He brings it up a few times. But, like, this to me is where it kind of, like, hit me. Because while she's on this rant, he starts reciting the explicit steps in order for a particular spell for reluctant reversers, which I think is so funny. And it just, it becomes so clear how much he's been clinging to this book as like a sense of normalcy and comfort. And he's like literally memorizing it because it's like all he has right now. Tragic silence. Yeah. (laughs) No, like that's just it. I mean, that's just like so deep. Yeah. But also like, he could just be playing mind games. Like, you know, when I try to go to sleep at night, I play like alphabet games, like Animal Crossing characters that start with A, B, C, and just some anything to keep your mind going. And sometimes I recite books and sometimes I recite movies in my head. And it could just be something like that. Just anything. Grasping at anything. And that's the last thing I picked up was this book. I think that's exactly what it is. But I think it's been like a week and I think he's read it like every night. <laughs> Well, yeah. he's kind of a dumb jock Gryffindor, and he's like, sports ball, <laughs> Quidditch. Well, and he can't he can't practice anything on his broom right now. So it's kind of one of those things where you've got to almost memorize it to be able to do it later. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it's like kind of all you can do right now. Mm-hmm. So Marge asks what James 
Potter did for a living as part of her rant. She's like, give me more fuel. In a panic, Uncle Vernon says that he was unemployed because just just say anything that's better than unemployed. Whatever. He doesn't care. He just panics. He's like, nothing, nothing is better than being a wizard. So then Marge is like, oh, of fucking course. He's unemployed. Well, he's a garbage human and I hate him and I'm glad he's dead. She doesn't say I'm glad he's dead, but like basically that's what we're getting here. So finally, Harry talks back and she's, he, she, he's like, no, it wasn't like that. And then there's like a pause and Uncle Vernon be like, more brandy. <laughs> I still want to talk a little bit about wh- why you guys think that or what you think it is that Vernon and Petunia told her and told probably the rest of the family about Lillian James that would explain why they hate them so much. I mean, on Petunia's side of the family, everybody knows because Petunia's mom and dad were really proud of Lillian. Yeah, but uh, uh, Marge's uncle Vernon's br- uh, sister. That's right. That, I'm, I really meant Vernon's family. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I was, yeah. Like, I was like, well, yeah. some of them know. I, I think that they've just dodged it in this exact way. Like, oh, nothing. They're just shitty. He was unemployed. Like, don't even worry about them. But it's just crazy to me because, like, how has... I mean, I've, I already said this in this episode, but no matter how shitty the parents are, it's just crazy to me that no one in this family is, like, that poor kid with his, like, unemployed parents who were clearly really fucked up. <laughs> like, like, let's help him. I could see it being, like, a thing when, like, shitty people, like, adopt children from bad situations to be able to say that they did it instead of for the welfare of the child. Oh, like Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah, I think it's more of, like, a self These are incredibly narcissistic people. Yeah. And I think that the whole reason that they're even... I think they want to put on for show that they raised harry and that they're doing such a good job by reining in his inbred criminal instincts yeah yeah well he has gotten into some trouble too like there was the bits about like him being on top of the schools and stuff yeah like climbing school buildings and that's legitimate ish things they could document and say see see well, and we talked about this with the first book a little bit, but there is, there had to have been a time where Harry was an infant and infants can't be neglected in the same way and still grow. Yeah, he never would have like gained language skills, like, etc. Like who potty trained him? Right. So they have like, there was a period of time where he was bottle fed, potty trained, put on solid foods, like there, there was a whole developmental stage where they had to have taken some amount of care of him. And I think it comes from that narcissism of being like, look, we saved this boy. And as soon as he developed speech, they were like, nah, fuck this kid. I think it probably also helped him that Dudley was on the exact same developmental tract as him. I think it helped the whole situation that they they probably didn't feel like they were like buying diapers for Harry. It's like, it's like for Dudley and then like Harry gets to use some because otherwise he smells like shit all day. Yeah. I think it probably helped that Petunia was already doing these things for her precious. And Harry probably learned a lot by just, like, watching them interact, honestly. Yeah, that's very true. It's kind of surprising to me that he doesn't have, like, radical attachment disorder. Like, when you don't bond with a parent as a, as a baby, um, you cannot bond yeah. with people as an adult. It almost reminds me of, like, okay, when I used to babysit my girl Mirabelle, I love this bitch so much. She's, like, nine now. But when I baby I babysat her from when she was four months old... 
And when she was an infant, I could watch cartoons and she couldn't tell tattletale on me to her parents. But once she became like three, we I couldn't do that anymore because then she'd be like, Christina, let me have five hours of TV time today. And then I'd get in trouble. So I think Petunia probably was very tender to baby Harry because she is a mom. She was a mom. She had all those hormones from her baby. And you can't just let a baby flounder. And then I think as soon as he got old enough to start talking and like figuring things out, she was like, can't do this anymore. You're on your own. Man, that's even more tragic. I know. I know. I think there's a lot more to Petunia than we ever get to see. You know, sometimes like a baby that's not your baby. Sometimes, as a mom, I will even say this, sometimes like, they're just annoying. Like, and it's not your kids. So they're like, their weird little (laughs) idiosyncrasies are not cute. It's annoying that this kid won't leave you alone, won't stop talking to you incessantly. When it's your kid, it's, you know, it's excusable. It's it's fine. But when somebody else's kid, it's really... It probably really grated on her for years. And, you know, her sister just left her with this child. And it probably created a whole lot of resentment. That's crazy. Okay, that reminds me of, like, this whole subplot in Game of Thrones that never got into the TV show where fucking Gilly, my least favorite character in the history of mankind, at one point in the books has to trade her baby for another baby for that other baby's protection. She's basically forced to put her baby in danger to protect this more important baby. And she fucking hates this baby. And it doesn't know how to breastfeed. It doesn't know how to do anything. And she's like, I fucking hate this baby so much. And she's like, my baby's not even here anymore. And that's what that vividly reminded me of. (laughs) So Marge implies that Harry's parents were killed in a car crash because they was drunk. Yeah, drunk driving. Which is really, I feel like, the biggest diss. Because it's like, that's kind of the stupidest thing you can do as a human. And then she just suddenly stops talking. Quote, she seemed to be swelling with inexpressible anger. She's inflating like a balloon. Her buttons pop off. Her clothes start ripping. She is round. She starts floating. Making apoplectic popping noises. One of my favorite words right there. Apoplectic. Yeah, that's such a fun word. I stumbled over that one in the intro. Um, She's floating. She doesn't go outside because this isn't a movie and we don't need that much drama. Although I do love that addition that she goes into the sky in the movies. That's a lot of fun. That's like a nightmare to have to come deal with. Whereas like what happens here in the books is like not quite as much of a nightmare for the whatever squad that comes to fix it. The magical reversal reversal squad. squad or whatever. Yeah. It would be, I think it would be really funny though, because you know, if she does get as big as she does in the movie, her clothes would have come off. All of them. Yeah, completely. All of them would have ripped off. She's not wearing spandex <laughs> jogging pants. <laughs> like <laughs> That's a really big fupa coming at your face there, man. <laughs> she would have been a giant naked balloon. <laughs> and that is yeah, so she's awkward. Tweed. tweed does not give. Mm-mm. Just like your sister slash aunt. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it's like not, that's not what she really looks like naked, but you'll never be able to unsee that version of her. That'd be crazy. The first boob Harry ever sees is this giant, giant inflated boob of his aunt. (laughs) This is horrifically graphic. Please. So feel free to cut this because it's a lot, but I'm imagining a Marge balloon. You know when you blow up a balloon and you've got, like, the area where the, um, like, air actually goes in and that's what you tie off? I'm imagining just, like, labia lips as the, like, (laughs) balloon air tie off to a March balloon and that's horrifying. 
No, 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 no. It's a really droopy clit. That's the part that the hair goes oh. in. <laughs> Coming out of the labia lips. It would be funny to watch her deflate and then it's just it's like... It's a queen! Oh, <laughs> out of her <laughs> It's all farts. It's all it's farts. It's a <laughs> Would her skin be all stretched out? So, funnily enough, this is how they do surgery. Um, If you're getting it done laparoscopically, they, like, cut a hole in you, and they actually (gasps) fill you with air so that there's room for them to operate inside. I know, because I had my appendix out Now, that is too graphic. (laughs) So, you end up with this, like, weird distended belly for a while, and when I woke up, they were like, don't worry, it'll either be, like, absorbed or it'll find its way out. And I was like, does that mean I'm going to be on painkillers and farting (laughs) aggressively for, like, the next week? (laughs) Were you? I don't remember. I was on a lot of painkillers. I also accidentally got a above-the-ear pixie-cut mullet (gasps) because I did not know I was asking for at a hair salon, and I was on a lot of painkillers, so I wasn't really paying attention. I'm going to need a photograph of that. Oh, it was also when I was, like, probably 80 pounds heavier at the end of my senior year. I was real depressed. It was a whole vibe. I will, And then I tried to bleach it (gasps) myself. I'll show you. It it just keeps getting worse and worse, Brooke. (laughs) (laughs) I was in a downward spiral. <laughs> Man, we've all been there. It's fine. Okay, we're almost there. Vernon grabs Marge because she's floating off the ground, and then he starts floating off the ground. So then Ripper, the dog, bites Vernon's leg to bring him back down to earth. Well, they're still in the dining room. I, I'm my brain is picturing them outside because of the movies, which is, it sucks. They're in the dining room still. So Harry bolts he goes to the cupboard under the stairs it bursts open as he approaches even though it's been locked all summer he fetches his trunk he goes upstairs to grab his shit he stomps down to the front hallway uncle vernon meets him in the hallway and tells him that he needs to come fix aunt marge harry instead threatens his uncle with his wand and then leaves yeah round of applause stick it up to your abuser yeah I understand that we've got love magic to contend with, but I do not understand why he keeps going back. Like, at this juncture, after last summer, wouldn't you just be like, hey, Mrs. Weasley, like, can I house it while you're in Egypt for real? It is weird that the love magic needs to be renewed, like, what's, like, what's something that gets renewed every year? Like, your car registration. Like, that that shouldn't be how love magic works. (laughs) It's weird that he, even if that is accurate, it's weird that he doesn't fight more on that because he doesn't know that that's happening at this point. Dumbledore would shoot him yeah. down if he tried right. to, but he doesn't even but try. But he doesn't even try. Yeah. I want to know more. Like, could he go home with the Weasleys and the Weasleys schedule a day to come to the Dursleys and then Harry just, like, pokes and Petunia, and then it's like love magic restored, <laughs> and then goes back Pokes. to the burrow. That mother's love from Molly should totally count. She got that good, good love magic. Yeah, definitely, like, blood magic is interesting. It doesn't really get addressed a lot in this. I think we see it with the unbreakable vow. It's like, it's like blood magic, basically. Whether or not they use blood to do the magic, it's blood magic. It's like a mortal, mortal magic that affects your mortality. And it's just, yeah, we don't get to understand it. Uh, probably because it's hard to write that kind of magic, because it's like, I don't know. Right. If I start putting boundaries on it, I'm going to fuck myself for later, so. Yeah. 
Surely there are reasons. Well, if, if that's, you know, you know, mortality magic there, you know, then it's really hard to do. Like, the um, unforgivable curses are actually really hard to cast. Oh, yeah, that's true. You have to really mean them. I'm just imagining a scenario where it takes some time to, like, recharge the love magic. And, you know, when you're, like, about to go out... And you forgot to plug your phone in. And so you've got it plugged in and you're trying to be like, all right, I got to go in five minutes. But if I can just get to like 50% charge, it'll last all night. And I know that I'll be good. <laughs> and I'm just- I like that. that so Imagining relatable. Harry watching the love magic meter like, okay, come on. If I can just get up enough that I can get through the school year, I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And like, what happens if he doesn't recharge the love magic? Does he become dead because it's now an alternate time? line where Voldemort did kill him or does Voldemort see him like the eye of Sauron when the love magic runs out oh like gosh. comes and gets him like what the fuck I would love to hear listener thoughts on this because I have no fucking like what happens when the love magic runs out you would imagine that there's someone that could cast a uh, like re-up magic that could replicate at least some of the shielding of the love Molly magic in a place that's not the purest you know, love the Dursley's mm. house. Well, then there's like the the, the the Fidelis charm there, right? That like, you know, hides a location of somebody. Why couldn't they have done that? Yeah, no one had to die to hide Sirius and the rest of the Order of the Phoenix. And then why the fuck should his love magic run out when he comes of age? Did Lily be like, I'll protect you, but only till you're 17? Because these are my dying words, like, uh, none of the. <laughs> that is weird. And what if he lived in America when it was 18? Oh, oh what if he moved to America? Does your location change the love magic? <laughs> okay. This wild speculating. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> my brain was like, no, that's panning for gold. But no, that's spectating. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, what is the word? It's, it's a speculum. speculum. Oh, no, wait, that's not it either. Specta spectating is panning for gold. No, spec spectating is watching but isn't something. It You're spectating a sports, but you no, you speculate for gold as well. But isn't it like spectator? No, I think it's spectator. because It's prospecting. You prospect for gold. Prospecting. 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 Oh, fuck. Okay, we got Can it. Can we, we cut all of that out? Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So dumb. Gotta be true to your heart. I paid a school for an English degree. <laughs> Brooke, you were fighting against that the whole time, and I give you props, because I was really insistent on Spectator. I was really sure that there's a character in Toy Story 3 named Spectator. He's the prospector. <laughs> That's no. Mr. Potato Head? <laughs> Stinky Pete. Oh, yeah, Stinky Pete! Which is also the name of Sean's best friend. <laughs> That sounds like the name of the guy who's always the best friend. Like, it's always, like, yeah. like your significant other and their best friend who has, like, some goofy-ass name like that. Well, if I'm, if I'm with Stinky Pete, I'm not going to call him Stinky Pete. You're going to slip up. Oh, it's like, it's like Looney Lovegood. Aw. I think that's a cute nickname. Miss her. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. We just haven't met her yet. Any last words about Aunt Marge's big mistake? I like the name of the chapter because it's like, ah, oh, she fucked up, <laughs> even though it's like definitely Harry who fucks up. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I really liked was the descriptor words. You know, she doesn't state, she doesn't say. She always growls, barks, or booms things. Mm, mm-hmm. 
And that's a great way to position her as a dominant figure mm-hmm. without having to talk about how she's fat and masculine. Yeah. I also liked her um, namby-pamby wishy-washy nonsense. Yeah, I like that too. It's good phrasing. Anyone else? Any last words? I'm very impressed that we filled the time with this one because this chapter is so... There's like only one thing that really happens and the whole chapter is just building up to that one thing. There's not even like the fun side stuff at Hogwarts (laughs) to really fill it in. Yeah. Whenever we talk about the Dursleys, there's just so many questions, you know, and it's like, and it's like, how does any of this make sense to anyone? Um, And the bottom line is it doesn't. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) You just, you would think that the Dursleys would be like, can't you just go fucking live with that weird ginger family that you love so much? Like, just go away. But then they get threatening letters from Dumbledore. Howlers. Remember my last. Oh, true. Oh, da 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 are we ready to do some plugs? Woo! Yes. Brooke, would you please go first? I have been Brooke Matherly. You can find me on Instagram at passion parks You can find me on Twitter at GrumpyBrooke. This week, I would like to plug a book called Surrender Your Sons. It is a by Adam Sass. It is a book about a bunch of kids that get sent to a gay conversion therapy camp, and it becomes like a thriller mystery of them like discovering how to take the camp down and busting out. I will say it took me a while to get into it because it is written from the perspective of a, you know, 17-year-old gay white boy from Indiana, and it reads exactly like that. So it did take me a second to get into the book, but then once I started reading it, like I couldn't put it down. Like once you hit the main mystery, it just like flies by. Um, it's a first novel from this author, so it definitely reads a little bit like a first novel. I'll be excited to see anything he writes subsequently, but it's definitely worth worth a read. Really great representation. It's a really fun story. Hell yeah, that's awesome. I'm definitely gonna put that on my book list because that sounds just like a really cool plot. You can burn my copy. Oh. Yeah, physical books. Yeah, I'd love that. I also read physical books. I don't know why I just assume no one else does. I bought it from a local bookstore as well. So just a reminder that in this season where you can buy anything on Amazon, you can also get it quicker by going to a local bookstore. Which local bookstore? Uh, I got this from Chop Suey. Chop Suey, they're awesome. I recommend following their Instagram because they have a shop cat. So that's great. Oh, and also great books. (laughs) Right, 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 right. We love them. Uh, Mary Payton. So I am Mary Payton. You can find me on Instagram at Richmond Reads. I don't have much to plug, so I have two smaller ones. I have not had time to really read for fun, but I did watch Knives Out recently, and I know that came out quite a while ago, but that was freaking good. I love a good murder mystery. It's really fun, and normally um, I have a hard time finding things that actually surprise me because I've read so many things and seen so many movies, but this one really did. It was awesome. But then also, Brooke, you remind me of this. Um, if you do want to do your shopping online for books and you like the, the the variety that Amazon gives you, it is easier to find stuff on there. But Amazon sucks. Please don't use it. Um, you can use bookshop.org. So that's a place where a whole bunch of different indie bookshops have put up their books so you can find really anything like even bizarre books I found I've never had a problem finding a book on there but the sales go to an independent bookstore um, and you can even choose a bookstore in your own hometown that is a part of it too so to like designate the profits too yes exactly yeah bookshop 
www.mary-payne.org. I would like to piggyback on that, Mary Payne, and also add that there's this cool website called IndieBound, and it's basically a search directory where you can find what local bookstores, what independent bookstores are selling a particular book, and then it, it just helps you find I, like, I know if you just walk into any brick and mortar indie bookstore, you might not find what you're looking for, but a lot of them have really vast online catalogs and can still get that book to you. So IndieBound is another great resource. Jordan, what do you have to plug today? I have a book series that is my favorite, and other than Harry Potter, it's the one I've read over and over again the most, and it's the Outlander series. Their show is out now, and I know a lot of people have watched it, and it's okay. The books are amazing. There is so much history and drama and intrigue and romance and humor in the books. And they're just, they're just so, so wonderful. Like there's so much history that I learned reading these books. It starts in like 1740 something during the Jacobite revolution in Scotland, which is a time period I knew nothing about. And now I'm fairly well versed. I can hold a conversation about it and feel okay. And then the American Revolution. And, you know, even that, you know, I felt like before I was okay, well-versed, public school, well-versed in the American Revolution. But now I know so much more. Awesome. Do you have any personal social accounts you'd like people to follow? And if not, that's okay, too. Uh, you could if you wanted to. I don't know why you'd want to. But you can find me on Instagram at Jordan Knits a Lot. I post my kid, my homeschool experiments, and my knitting. I personally am not a knitter, nor do I have a kid, but I still delight in just seeing what you're doing every day. It brings me so much joy. It's very, it's very varied. That's for certain. <laughs> I've been your host, Christina. You can follow me on Instagram at your girl of the world. You can follow me on Twitter at Tina Fontina. And today I'm going to plug self-care through the holidays. It's like a concept. It's not a book called self-care through the holidays. I just personally experience a lot of holiday-related anxiety because my husband and I are both children of divorce, and so we have eight parents who are always trying to, like, get our attention, and gift-giving as a requirement is super stressful, and obviously this year has its own stresses. Um, a lot of people are feeling pressured to travel or pressure to not travel if they feel like they can do so safely. And I just really want everyone to take the opportunity this year, since it's already really weird, and do it exactly what you want to do that makes you feel comfortable. I know my husband and I plan to stay home. We're not traveling. We're just not interested. We're not religious. And so this year, we're just like, we're not doing Christmas. We're just going to be home hanging out with each other, watching movies, and eating a lot of food that we usually don't let ourselves eat. And I just really encourage everyone to think about what is right for you and to do what makes you comfortable. And if you're feeling stressed, please feel free to reach out. I have a folder on my phone called memes, and I'll send you one. Any random meme. Just message me and say, meme, please, and I'll send it to you because I just want everyone to get through the end of 2020 feeling good. And that's my PSA. Thank you so much. I know we all really needed that. I'm going to take you up on that meme please thing, by the way. Please do. I have so many and I'm like, they're just sitting here. I never remember them when the perfect opportunity arises. Oh, no, I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, I have a meme for this. Wait a moment. And I'm like <laughs> flipping through my little card catalog in my mind trying to remember where I put it in my phone. <laughs> And if you are doing holiday stuff and you find yourself feeling a little overwhelmed, just close your eyes and in your brain be like, 
Happy Christmas, Ron. Happy Christmas, Harry. (laughs) Or close your eyes and recite from the self-care broom guide. Uh, It's a self-care broom guide? That's like wrong, but so sweet. Self-care broom guide. Broom guide self-care. Self-care for you and your broom. The self-care guide to brooming well and good. Those brooms are almost sentient. They could use some self-care. They get ridden so hard day in, day out. And for that reason, always use lube. I mean, wax on your broom. (laughs) Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute delight. Thanks for having me. I was so excited. And am so excited. Still excited. (laughs) The excitement lives on. (laughs) Give us an update when this actually posts. Yeah. (laughs) Will do. Still so excited. Still excited. My level of excitement is always at an 11. (laughs) And with that, I'm Uncle Vernon and you're a wizard. Get the fuck out of my house. The Restricted Section was created by me, Christina Kahn, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. Theme music by Ryan Kahn. Logo by Michael Hardison. Be sure to like our Facebook page, The Restricted Section Podcast, join our Facebook group, The Restricted Section Detention Crew, follow us on Instagram at Restricted Section Pod, and on Twitter at Restricted Pod. If you want to join our Discord server, shoot a message to one of our socials and I'll get you connected. You can also email us at RestrictedSectionPod at gmail.com with thoughts, feelings, complaints, or even lavish praise. Until next time, potheads. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Don't even worry.